Corey Mandel is an award-winning playwright and screenwriter who has written projects for Ridley Scott, Wolfgang Peterson, Harrison Ford, John Travolta, Meg Ryan, Warner Brothers, Universal, 20th Century Fox, Fox 2000, Fox Family, Working Title, Paramount, Live Planet, Beacon Films, Touchstone, Trilogy, Radiant Copelson, Entertainment, and Walt Disney Pictures. I like the way you say that. I'm going to hire you to walk around and say that to people. I will. I like will. at parties, you can just walk behind <laughs> or in front of me and say we that. We could send you that clip. Would you? And you could just have it on your phone and just go, boom. Yes. <laughs> there you go. In your face. <laughs> Who's this lady? <laughs> and with all those people that you've, that you've written for, you have written how many projects has it been? I've written 19 for hire studio projects in 10 years. Wow. Oh my God. 19 for hire studio projects in 10 years. Yes. All in random wow. stages of production and development. I've, and Yeah, pretty much done it. everything that you do. I've... Um, I've sold specs, I've sold pitches, I've been hired to write original projects, I've done a lot of rewrites, adapted novels, and I've done two um, uh, production rewrites, where you're actually on set writing, rewriting while they're filming. So I've done pretty much everything you do. Excellent. For the most part. Not saying I did it well, but at least I did it. What got you into teaching? Because now you teach over at UCLA, and you also teach privately. What what made you become a, a teacher? I love teaching. I've been teaching... Um, from pretty much the get-go at UCLA once a year for about 10 years. Um, I walked away from writing about four years ago for a variety of reasons and uh, was really casting about looking for to do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, was a professional poker player for a couple of years. Um, and my, uh, my wife kept saying, you should be a professional teacher, a professional teacher. And I said, yeah, that's great, but don't you like the mortgage and you know everything? <laughs> and she said, you'd be really hugely successful, and she wouldn't stop. So basically, to shut her up, mm-hmm. I decided to start a business uh, about actually about three years ago. Cool, cool. So in addition to UCLA, what's the URL for your business? Um, my website's coreymandel.net, because um, I was late to the party, and there's a Canadian... Uh, Canadian uh, <laughs> caterer with dot com. So anyway, it's Corey you're, you're Mandel. You're talking to dot TV over yeah. here. I totally, I feel like I think dot TV kicks dot nets, but but anyway. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I I now own dot com. Did you know that? I own on the, the guy page from dot com. Oh, oh. No, yeah, right. I own dot com. <laughs> I, and I invented the internet. No, uh, I own on the page dot com finally, but I still say on the page dot TV because that's how people know me. But I had to go through a whole lot to oh get that. Oh, my God. It's kind of like extortion. It is. Yeah. It is. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Right. This guy doesn't even use it. Right. Anyway, I've, I've gotten used to dot net. So it's Corey Mandel dot net. See, I just snuck that in one more time. Yeah, yeah I excellent, like it. Excellent. And then um, you had mentioned a little bit to me about your. Your paradigm uh, when it comes to teaching. So before we get into into talking about what you teach and what what you're going to talk about today, just really I'm interested in that as a, a fellow teacher. Ah, well, I so I got my MFA at UCLA and I was taught what I would call sort of a very traditional approach to screenwriting, mm-hmm. and I used to teach that way for many years, and finally came to the realization that I was setting people up for failure, mm-hmm. and it was actually kind of a cruel way of teaching, and so. What I realized, and a lot of smart people helped me with this, so I can't take full credit. Probably can't even take most of the credit. But um, basically, the analogy I would use is somebody wants to be a professional home builder, and they're building homes on spec to launch a career. But their houses keep collapsing. And most writers, that's what their screenplays are. It's a pile of rubble. They don't know that, but if they ever had somebody read their script, it's really a pile of rubble. Mm-hmm. And even if they can get their structure to stand, it just doesn't look right. It doesn't look like Aaron Sorkin's home or uh, David Mamet's or William Goldman's. And they get really frustrated, and they take a class. So I say, I'm a professional home builder. I'll help you. So this week, bring in your living room. Next week, bring in your driveway. And I'll give you notes, and I'll give you suggestions, <laughs> and I'll send you off. And what I found is 
uh, candidly, and I wouldn't have said it back then, if I had a class of 20 people, probably one of them I could tell really had a shot, maybe two. And the others I knew probably didn't. I never said that. I encouraged everybody. And sure enough, those one or two would often go on to have careers and none of the others. And I had this idea that, and I talked to a lot of other teachers, that just because you have a desire and dedication to be a professional writer, it doesn't mean you necessarily have the talent. And there's really not, I mean, you can nurture and develop talent, but you either have a certain amount or you don't. And I realized that that's false. It took me way too long to get there. And I realized that there's certain tools that professional writers have that most people don't naturally have, and they can be taught. So basically, this is really facetious or, or crazy, I understand, but just for the metaphor, let's say someone doesn't have a hammer. They don't even know a hammer exists. Well, their houses are never going to be able to stand, and they'll quit writing because they think there's something wrong with them when they don't actually have a hammer, and they don't even know a hammer exists. So my paradigm shift was to shift away from product and switch to process mm-hmm. and to switch to tools and to see if I could identify what the five or four, what, what the actual tools are that's required to be successful. And during the writer's strike, I had a lot of time, and I had 10 people meet at my house once a week for uh, 13 months. And I said, here's the thing. You can't write a screenplay in 13 months. Um, we are going to completely move away from product. All you're going to do is work on these tools. I want to see if I can teach you these tools. Candidly, I don't know if I can. It's going to be trial and error. They amazingly agreed to it. Um, long story short, one person dropped out, so there was nine. Um, of those nine, four of them are working writers. Um, you know, my UCLA classes, it was like a 5% success rate. Same teacher, different paradigm. Mm-hmm. So basically what I do now when I work with people is they stop writing screenplays for a certain period of time. And they learn these tools. Then they go back to writing screenplays. And it's really been transformative. Excellent. Now, our, today we're going to talk about some of the essential skill sets required for screenwriting um, and for screenwriting success. So um, do any of these essential skill sets that you're about to talk about? They um, are the tools. Excellent. Excellent. So, I try to rebrand them. I don't know. I'm not that good at this branding. <laughs> <laughs> None of us are. Trust I hate me. that when you have to like give the elevator pitch. Uh, I, uh, um, so I would love to, to learn about one of them. Hit me, baby. Sure, I'll hit one. Are we going to learn about one? Well, we're going to learn about others, too, but okay. we have to start with one. Okay. Yeah. i to tease this out. That's right. I know. Um, yeah. I would say that the foundational one, there's actually two, but the, one of the ones that I talk about is creative integration. Mm-hmm. I like to find a sexier name for it. But basically, um, what I found in working with a lot of psychologists and neuroscientists is um, there's two creative muscles. There's the conceptual and the intuitive. And most writers are naturally wired one way or the other. So some writers write from a very conceptual place and some write from a very intuitive place. And what we know about the human brain is they can't both be active at the same time. So when you're in a conceptual space, you physiologically can't be in an intuitive space and vice versa. And so conceptual writers tend to be outside in. Uh, When you work with them, they tend to be excited by big ideas and story. Um, That part of their brain has a sequential processor that is very focused on logic, causality, narrative flow, big ideas, what other people think. So these types of people tend to write outside in, big ideas, big stories, but their characters are never strong enough. Um, These are the people that spend years and years. um, They might have agents. They might have managers. They've got great ideas. They can structure their stories, but their characters feel sort of stiff. They feel sort of like puppets, and their dialogue's just not that great. Intuitives are the exact opposite. Intuitives work inside out, 
And they work from um, that part of the brain has a parallel processor. And what it is focused on is our authentic emotional experience. So when these writers are writing, they're feeling what they're feeling. They're feeling what the characters are feeling. These characters are real people for them. Um, In contrast, conceptuals invent characters. Conceptuals discover, invent, and they are the gods of their universe. Intuitives discover characters. So, you know, speaking with Quentin Tarantino, he talks about the point where the characters take over and he just follows them. They're real people and he's just recording like a court reporter what they do. That's a deeply deeply intuitive writer. Um, So intuitives tend to write scripts that have amazing characters and amazing dialogue, but the stories are weak. And and the, and people can't see the movie that plays in the writers' heads. Um, you know, a conceptualist is someone who says, "I have to figure out my story so I can write it," and an intuitive is someone who says, "I've got to write my story so I can figure it out." And it's really hard to have a, and sustain. And that's what people don't understand: is it's hard enough to launch a career. It's a lot harder to sustain a career. And I'm working with a lot of writers who are like one and out and two and out. And the reason is. You know, they were conceptualists who came up with a really great idea, sold it, got some heat, but they bombed out on all their writing assignments because they just can't write characters or dialogue strong enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you'll have an intuitive who, if I'm working with one right now, who wrote eight scripts and actually one of the scripts, she just backed into a really strong structure without even realizing it, but she can't replicate it. And it's hard mm -hmm. too because once you have one of those people, they may have spent a lot of time writing, then they find their idea, and you have to say, okay, your idea lives here. Right. Now take all that great stuff that you did, you have to put that aside, right. and now build off of this right. one thing that And when you're talking to the intuitive brain, the intuitive brain does no idea what that means and, and has no incentive to want to do that. All the, the intuitive brain doesn't care what you or anybody thinks about your, my script. My intuitive brain just cares about what was my experience like when I wrote that, and how does it resonate to me? That's all it cares about. So... What happens is everybody's trying to write the best possible scripts because they want to get an agent, they want to get a manager, they want to launch a career. That's pretty obvious. That's their problem because if you try to write the best possible script, what you will do probably unknowingly is you'll write to your strengths and you'll hide your weaknesses. Hmm. So over time, your strengths get stronger and your weaknesses get weaker. So what happens is I used to be someone that said, if you want to be a screenwriter, jump in and start writing screenplays. I now realize that's a terrible, terrible advice. At least that's what I believe because – what will happen is three or four years down the road, that conceptualist will be really strongly conceptual and very weak, intuitive, and vice versa. So what I do is – and it's, it's a multi-step process. But the first step is tie their weak hand behind their – tie their strong hand behind their back. Make them create from their weak spot. So conceptualists have to work from a purely intuitive space. Intuitive have to do it from a purely conceptual space. This is one of the hardest things you can ask a writer to do. It's, I look at it like there's a conceptual island and an intuitive island. And you can't be on both at the same time. Now, when you get integrated, which I'll get to, you can swim back and forth so fast, it feels like you're accessing both at the same time. But physiologically, it's impossible. Hmm. And so what happens is most conceptualists have no idea how to even get to Intuitive Island and what it feels like to be on it. Um, It's writing without no conceptual chatter, no overlooking, no critic, no judging, no connections, no knowing where it's going, no pre-planning, no agenda. It's literally stream of conscious purely authentic emotional experience where the characters are real and they take over. And most conceptual writers have no idea how to get there. Or, and most of them think it's absolutely impossible to do it. Um, what I found is, it took me a couple of years, but what I found is it's the difficult part is not for a conceptual writer to work from an intuitive place. The difficult spot, The difficult part is learning how to turn off their conceptual mind. Because if the conceptual mind is active, the intuitive mind isn't. So it's really about 
or with intuitive, basically when I work with an intuitive, what I will tell them is everything you love about writing, everything you love about creating character and dialogue, the reason you want to be a writer, I need to teach you how to turn that off. Mm-hmm. And it will be the most difficult thing you'll ever do. And it'll take potentially a long time to get there. And it's a lot of sadness because when they can access the conceptual space, which is a more mathematical story-driven space, it just feels divide, devo- devoid of all emotion and feeling. And yeah, what I've done you get is a I've, lot of people going, oh, this is so boring. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, and in the outline stage, I'm always saying, you know, it's not going to be when you write it. Right. But you have to just let that form, right. you know, be a little more concrete up front. Absolutely. Yeah. But the, the key that I found is I think that you have all these intuitives who take these great classes and read these great books and they're given all these great conceptual tools and they can't use them effectively because they don't know how to access the conceptual part of their brain. And they're trying to do it using the wrong piece of software. The intuitive brain has a parallel processor, again, and the, the um, conceptual brain has a sequential processor. They have a different value system, a different language, and they can't talk to each other. The conceptual intuitive brains cannot talk to each other. They're connected through the, cor- the corpus callosum. Wow, so, you're so smart. He's so smart. Oh, I'm not smart. I've I'm, never heard corpus callosum on this show I before. made it up. Really? <laughs> uh, I don't know. He could have, you know. So no? know if I could just say. finish. So the key, <laughs> the key to integration is learning how to access both sides and then learning how to bring them together where you have your best characters and your best story. And so that's one of the skill sets. And it can absolutely be taught. And it's really transformative. I, I recently worked with a guy named James. And he has an agent and a manager. He's a big-time conceptualist. Great ideas. Um, took all these meetings, but nothing ever happened. And he knew why. Because his characters weren't strong enough. And he read books and he went to classes, which was basically – those were conceptual approaches to writing better characters. That's not going to solve it. So it took him several months to learn how to turn his conceptual mind off and work from a purely intuitive space. And it took him seven months to learn how to integrate the two back together. That's a very, that's the really interesting and difficult part of the journey is the integrating them back together. Anyway, um, and he wrote a script, and I, I see this all the time. His wife read it. His manager read it. Um, and his wife said, I love you, but I don't believe you wrote this. You don't write this good. And the manager said, who's your co-writer? Because no you just – no one could believe he could write those characters. It was like a different writer. Huh. Because for his entire life, he was only writing from half of his brain. And he had no ability to access and incorporate the other. There's a woman that I worked with. Um, I do, I'm a film ment- uh, a mentor at Film Independent. And I met her there. And just an amazing intuitive writer. Um, she just falls out of bed writing amazing character, amazing dialogue. She got into the Film Independent program. Um, but she couldn't. If I could back up for a second. So they, they did a study where people who have brain damage and their conceptual part of the brain is damaged. They can't access it. So all they have is their intuitive. And they'd ask them to draw a picture of a person or a picture of a house. And they would draw these really beautiful eyes and fingers that were hauntingly detailed and amazing, but they were just floating in space. They can't see the whole. All they can see are the trees. That's what intuitives do. They create these great characters, these great moments. That part of their brain has no ability to see form and understand how to communicate all that beauty in a way that we can experience it. So she wrote this script, and in Film Independent, they bring in all these amazing you know, people who wrote and directed Blue Velvet and uh, Drive and all these great things. And everyone was telling her that your beginning and end are amazing, your middle is super boring, and it's just we don't get it. And she was in tears, and the, the middle was why she wrote it. And in talking with her, I always asked her, like, what movie plays in your head? Walk me through it. And I realized that the beginning and end had a conflict and a structure that let people access it. 
and the middle didn't. The middle was a beautiful story, but no one was actually seeing it because she's this intuitive and she doesn't know how to express it where other people can fully. So it was too internalized and wasn't in, in conflict. Her head. Yeah, it wasn't uh, in conflict. And oh, it wasn't I see. structured in a way where there, it was all trees. There was no forest. Yeah. And I remember talking to her and she was saying when I, she was in film school, someone told her, one of her teachers, you have to write chick flicks. Like you'll never be good at structure. And she, which is, I think, a terrible thing to tell. Yeah. Someone. Yeah. And she said, there's this guy who'd come in and. People would pitch their stories and read, and re- read scripts, and he was like a machine. He'd go, here's how to fix it. Boom, boom, boom. And he just like nailed it. And she goes, I hate that guy you know, because <laughs> I can never be that guy. And I remember like a year later, she was in a class. She worked so hard to develop her conceptual side. She said, I hated writing. I hated life for like 10 months, but she did it, and she integrated it. And someone came in, and she read the script. And I purposely turned to her and I said, what, what would your structural suggestions be? And she went, oh, boom, boom, boom. And she just nailed it. That's great. And I waited like three seconds and she just stared at me. She said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm that person. <laughs> so, so tell me, can you give me one way, one tool that somebody can use to integrate the two, to talk between the two sides? Well, boy. Um, Is there a pill? <laughs> or at least part of a pill, you know, is, is there, what would be a, a, a stage, a step? Um, well, so one step I would say, I'll, I'll give you one. And I think it's an important one. Um, and it frustrates me that, that, that I think a lot of people fall prey to not understanding this. Okay. So there's a conceptual brain and an intuitive brain. They have a different personality, a different value system, on a different way of seeing the world and a different way of writing and creating. Okay, so what happens is you can create from a conceptual place, you can create from an intuitive place. You can also read and evaluate from a conceptual place, and you can read and evaluate from an intuitive place. And when you do that, you're evaluating the material on a very different set of value systems. And this is where um, things can get tricky for people, is I've met a lot of people who are very conceptual, and they know their characters aren't very strong, and writing can be very slow and painful for them. And they'll take a class or read a book, and that focuses on turning off the inner critic and gives you steps for being able to create from an intuitive place, um, which is the first step of the journey. And they're successful at it, which is awesome. But what I often hear is, and I looked at that stuff, and uh, it was terrible. Or I looked at that stuff, I didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And what it, what it proves is you have to outline. You got to, you know, outlining and figuring out the story is a conceptual approach. Mm-hmm. And you have to do that. And that breaks my heart because what happens is a conceptualist learns how to create from an intuitive place. If they go then read that material from a conceptual perspective, they'll shit all over it. They'll mm-hmm. think it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And intuitive, when they write from a really conceptual place and look at it, they think it's terrible and they'll shit all over it. So what I've learned is I have to teach people how to not only write from a conceptual space, an intuitive space, they have to learn how to read and evaluate from both and willfully be able to choose what I find amazing is, and here's a great example. There was a woman that came to me. She was from um, Northwestern, an actress, and very intuitive, very emotional. And we did this training, and it got to the point where um, I had her write a 20-page piece from a purely conceptual place, which is the far opposite of what she would naturally do. And she fought me, fought me, fought me, but she did it. She brought it in. She said, I'll let you read it, but I'm not letting them read it. This is the worst piece of crap I ever wrote. I'm not mad you made me write it, which, of course, means she hates my guts. Um, <laughs> but it taught me this process doesn't work for me. And, mm-hmm. I, and I made everybody read it. I made her make everybody read it. And, mm. and they all said, this is the most amazing thing you ever wrote. And she, she fought. She was enraged. She said, you guys are crazy. But she knew. Huh. I mean, this was a strong group. We had some produced writers. We had a guy with a movie coming out. I mean, she, she knew that their feedback was dead on. Mm. 
And she, it took her days of fighting. I get a call from her a year later. She gets an opportunity to be on a TV show as a writer. She doesn't have a writing sample. She used that. They loved it. And she launched her career off something that she fought to the death, not mm. to anybody see. So the problem is, here's a secret that I've discovered. Um, and I don't want to say this as a rule, but I'll say it as a, a pattern that I've seen. Most conceptual writers do their best work when they start from a very intuitive place. Most intuitive writers do their best work when they start from a very conceptual place. Most writers don't do that. The problem is when they start to do that, they'll always evaluate what they wrote from their dominant side and they'll think it's terrible. So a big part of integration is learning value balancing, which is to say to equally value conceptual intuitive. So if I personally, I'm a conceptualist. I've done this work. Um, It was incredibly difficult. There was about four times I was going to give up and quit. That happens a lot with people. It's really difficult. And the only way I could start to write from a pure, I wrote an entirely intuitive screenplay. I mean, I literally sat down, knew, well, I knew a little bit, and literally wrote a screenplay in a week from a very intuitive place. You know, and I called it my vomit draft. I just vomited out. And that's a term you hear a lot. Yes. That's a conceptualist making a value judgment about what intuitive writing is. Oh, that's, um, that's interesting. We're, we're putting something negative on something that actually could be a, a great tool for you. If you right. let all this, these people talk in your world, right? right. And there's a possibility that the conceptual side is coming out and you don't even realize it. If you turn around and do sort of a conceptual evaluation of it, there, there might be a, an... Well, what I would do concept. with a conceptualist is I'd have them write a purely intuitive draft and then I would teach them how to evaluate it from an intuitive perspective mm-hmm. as opposed to a conceptual perspective. And that's how they can back this into an amazing screenplay. Um, and so it, that's what integration is. It's basically... Being able to train yourself to access both sides of your brain, rewiring your brain to do that. And it's about conscious decision of when you're in a conceptual space and when you're in intuitive space. Because both of them are very powerful tools for certain kinds of problems and incredibly terrible tools at others. And so most writers are only working from half of their brain. So some stuff comes really easy and natural to them and some is really hard. That's why intuitive writers just can't structure stuff. That's why intuitive writers, when they read something that they write, it's – I worked with an intuitive writer who um, had an agent and he was going out in all these meetings and they would ask him all these questions about the script. They go, we love the characters, we love the dialogue, we don't understand this, it didn't seem to make sense, it have to be this way. And he would explain the movie in his head and they'd go, oh, that's amazing, but, but it's not on the page. It's not on the page. And he didn't know what the hell they were talking about because when an intuitive reads their script, it's all there for them. And they don't have the part of the brain that really gets them to understand that when other people read their script, they're not seeing it. So, so probably the, the, the first stage toward doing this is analyzing, right? It's, that's what it sounds like. If you can analyze, right, if you can look at other people's material, um, looking at it from both the conceptual and from the intuitive, then you can start to do the same thing with your own. Or, so well, analyzing is a conceptual word. So analyzing, when someone's analyzing, they are working from a conceptual place. So it's learning to analyze, but for some people, it's learning to turn analysis off, and it's learning how to feel, mm-hmm. and it's learning how to create stream of conscience with no judgment. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay, very cool. I mean, you know what? That was that was part of that pill. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. we, we got we got. I mean, what I would say is it's it's incredibly powerful and transformative, and it's really um, you have to be committed to doing it. You know, this isn't uh, hey, come take this workshop six weeks, and then you'll be. You, you'll be fully integrated. It is, this, this is a journey, and people have to be committed to it. 
Um, what I love about my groups is I'll have people who've gone through it and you can see, you know, they've launched careers and you can see their writing is, it's not the same writer and it's very powerful, but it's, it takes a lot of work and a lot of dedication and some real dark moments. You know, you know, it, it's funny, you're bringing up something that, that I think also should be applied to a good analyst as well. You know, there's a lot of people who knock script consultants and there's a lot of criticism that is, should be leveled at some script consultants because sure. if they're only looking at a script in one way, if they're yeah. only looking at it from the conceptual, then, right. then we've got that in, intuitive writer that's going to be screwed in the process because the conceptual analyst doesn't recognize the value of the actual writing. Right. And then you've got those other people who are so intent on just looking at all the minutia. They're so, in, you know, the intuitive part of it that they fail to see that there's a really good story there that could be better crafted. So, guys, when you're also looking for a good analyst, you need somebody who looks at your script in both ways as well in order to bring out the best in you. Th this is a, a, a very interesting approach to writing, and I, I like what you said, too, the fact that you can't sort of squeeze yourself into one box this way. You have to appreciate what kind of writer you are and then figure out what tools are going to work for you for for strengthening those weaknesses. Adip, which, which kind of a writer do you think I'm you are? I'm an intuitive writer, and so character and, and dialogue are just, they just flow. Mm -hmm. And um, a few years ago, I knew that my greatest weakness, like every year I write writing goals. And for years, it was just like, get better at structure, get better at outline. Da, da, da. So I force myself to do the conceptual work first. Mm -hmm. And I don't judge it using an intuitive brain. I judge it on what, you know, what it is. And so lately, everything I write is so much better because the outline is there and it's solid. And I, I, allow my intuitive side to creep in with a few bits of dialogue and and um and character work but i don't i don't judge it and so i just kind of and then i do the vomit draft right and i don't i just have learned over time like don't judge don't judge and just you know so i've sort of merged them uh, like i've been just trying to get them together but it was definitely something that I looked at it and said, oh, yeah, I really struggle with structure. And and, yeah, and I like what, what you said, too, about not hiding your weaknesses, especially in yeah. a workshopping situation, because I often have people in my writing groups who will bring in their shiniest pages yeah. right. because they just want to impress. But, you know, I'll say, is this really what you need to work on? No, right. no, that's just terrible. I'm not bringing that in. Yeah, yeah. bring it in, right. because clearly you were uncomfortable. This was the yeah. story side of it. You had to shift to a new sequence. It wasn't working for you. Bring it in we'll rough it out and figure yeah. out how to get through it if you're not that kind of a writer but it can be horribly depressing yeah you know even now i'll just look at something uh you know i'm trying not to judge it but i'm not enjoying this because i'm writing it from a conceptual place and i just can't wait to get to the intuitive place and i just keep forcing myself like you know enjoy the conceptual part of it because that once you you know once you pull that in then you can enjoy the whole thing and you know, I don't the, know. And the two kind of writers are jealous of each other because I've they seen totally this in, in, my, are. in my groups. They totally are. The conceptual yeah. writers blast through material. Yeah. Right. They're like, you know, idea, structure, done. Idea, structure, right. done, right? And the intuitive people are like, I am still working on it. It's been three years. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. But then the conceptual people go, how did you How did you write like this? I wish right. I could write like right. this. Yeah. So it, it's, it's really interesting. Right. I would say, though, I mean, there was a time – you. You and I, I think we're maybe floating around 
uh, in the in the 90s as well, there was a time when the conceptual writer was the writer that was rewarded the most as far as script sales goes. Yes, but the thing is, and and that's died down a lot, but the reality is um, the Writers Guild of America, you know, um, requires that when you hire a writer, they get first shot at that rewrite. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I was hired by a studio to rewrite someone who hadn't even started that rewrite. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's a great, yeah, back in the 90s and the 80s, there was two marketplaces, that for great ideas and that for people who can execute and have characters. And so there were very conceptual writers who come up with great ideas, but their characters were weak. The studio would buy it, and then they would mm-hmm. already hire a writer. If I can circle back around, you're talking about script consultants. Um, if I can weigh in, because that actually is a great segue into one of the other skill sets, mm-hmm. if, we, if that's cool. Sure. Let's, let's hit one more before we say goodbye. You okay. got it. Um, you know, when I started out, I was really fortunate to have a manager take me under his wing and teach me that the way most people rewrite is a truly terrible way, and that's why most people never – really have any success and what he said is you know most people will take their script they'll give it to people they trust they'll say read it let me know what you think what what needs strengths what what's weak where is it what can i do to improve this and he said what people don't understand is that when you write a script the movie plays in your head and when you give that script to other people movie plays in their head and everyone assumes it's the same movie and for most people that's not the case so when i started teaching at ucla i thought i was so smart had everyone bring in copies of their script give it to somebody else have them give those copies to their friends, ask them a set of questions to see what movie they're experiencing, tape record it, or, you know, dig- and then have the writer transcribe those tapes. So every writer got to transcribe tapes showing them the ex- how other people were experiencing their scripts. And I stopped because I had two people threatening to kill themselves. They were that <laughs> upset. Oh, no. And people were I could so, see that. I could I, see that. I, I could. Yeah. And I think because. with the, with the script and songs, the big problem is that you've got a lot of – and this isn't true of everyone, but with some of them, you've got some really smart people giving notes on the movie that plays in their head as opposed to sitting down with the writer. Um, and certainly when I work with the writer, what I want to know – I ask them a series of questions. I want to know what movie played in their head. And more often than not, it's a much more powerful movie than what – is coming off the page. And then I want to show them the tools that they're missing so that they can get people to see the movie that plays in their head. And often that tool is conflict, which I think we touched on a little bit. And when I said I found that like one out of 20 students really had a shot, what I found is like one out of 20 people at 5% really write in strong, compelling conflict. You know, uh, David Mamet in his memo to the writer said, you have to be able to write in strong, compelling conflict or you're not going to have a career. Nobody naturally does this, but you can teach yourself to, and you better. Um, you know, in his book, Rewrites, Neil Simon talked about years and years of writing script after script, that, or play after play, and, and they weren't good enough, and he knew they weren't good enough. They were funny, and they had great characters, but there was something missing. He didn't know what it was, and a lot of writers feel that way. They know something's missing, but they don't know what it is. And he finally went to his brother, Danny, who's a, a successful playwright, swallowed his pride and said, what is it? And Danny said, you don't write in compelling conflict. Mm. And he taught him that. And then um, Neil Simon went on to have you know, the career that Neil Simon had. I would say 95% of writers don't write in strong, compelling conflict. Therefore, if they tested their scripts and they found what movie people were experiencing at the character and story level, they'd be shocked and appalled how different that is than the movie they wrote. So, How do you define compelling conflict versus conflict? It, have me on again. I love to <laughs> but, but compelling, I mean, it, compelling conflict, it's, that's the foundational skill that I teach in my classes. Then we go to creative integration. Compelling conflict is 
writing it in a way that grabs a reader's attention, makes them keep reading. I'm sure Pilar has experienced this. You know, when I do seminars, like people, a lot of people say, I can write great scenes, I can write great characters, but man, structure and that second act right. and that, right? Well, what I always tell people is, I had a couple of producers in my UCLA class who were at the Great American Pitch Fest, and they, they had a hundred, one of them had like 116 scripts submitted to him. And what he did is he read the first scene or two, and he said, if this scene is amazingly well written, I'll keep reading, otherwise I won't. Out of 116 scripts, he continued with two. And both those scripts ended up selling. 114 wow. scripts got thrown in the trash. I brought some agents in from WME where I'm represented to one of my classes. And they said when a newer writer you know, submits a script, we'll read the first scene or two to see if they're amazingly well written. If the first scene's amazingly well written, it doesn't mean the script's amazingly well written. Mm-hmm. But if the first scene isn't, then the script isn't. And they said it's usually one out of 300. So there's this huge disconnect. I did a poll once and I found like 70% of writers said, I can write great scenes. But it's structure that is bedeviling me. Mm. And the gatekeepers of the industry are saying, you know, less than 1% of people actually can write really strong scenes. And writing compelling cinematic conflict is what's required to write scenes that really grab a reader's attention and make them keep reading and allow them to experience the movie that's playing in your head. I can guarantee you that a vast majority of scripts that, that bomb out in the marketplace, the movie that played in the, readers, in the writer's head was far more compelling than the one that played in the reader's head who did coverage. Mm-hmm. Now, if everyone could see, fully experience the writer's movie with that script of sold, would that writer have launched a career? You know, maybe, maybe not. But in the current state, they won't. I mean, the reality when you talk to the gatekeepers of the industry is like 99, more than 99% of the scripts that come to them aren't strong enough. That's mm-hmm. just the reality. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, well, most people just don't have the talent. And I would say it's because People don't know how to write in strong, compelling conflict. Most people don't. Well, I think you're hitting on something, too. Those people who think that they can write great scenes and say, I, I write great scenes, actually what they usually mean is I write great dialogue. So, you know, and because it's, it's well-written huh. dialogue and they're having fun with it, they believe this is a great scene. Right. But what you're talking about is what's the story of the scene that, that expresses some kind of conflict in a situation or between people. That's not always dialogue-driven. And so you're saying, you know, is the story of the scene compelling? And if the story of the scene is compelling, that's a compelling scene and they'll read on. It's not necessarily – I mean, I'm changing conflict to story sure. for a second – but, you know, one might say that a great story is born of conflict, you know. Um, but I often, when people say to me, I write great scenes, right. that's usually what they, they don't understand right. that they mean. Why do people <laughs> go around saying, I write great scenes, I write great scenes? I because mean, they're, it's kind of funny. I, think, I, I don't think they're bragging. I think, oh. I think that they, because they are loving it. And you should love it. And they're yeah. loving the actual execu- execution of the scene in right. terms of letting people talk to each other. And then the hard work is then stepping back and going, but what am I trying to say here? What, what's right. the big picture? Yeah. You know, and to and take, another, hard. take it a step further, they love the movie that's playing in their head, which yeah. is the first part of the experience. They don't know how to translate that into yeah. a movie that plays in other people's heads. And, they, and I'll guarantee you this. If there was a law that said you had to test your scripts to see the movie playing other people's heads before you took it out to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, there would be a million people signing up for classes that teach how to actually write, and you know, as uh, David Mammoth said, you know, compelling cinematic conflict. Because people would be shattered to understand. It's like you write the script that's amazing, and then you somehow in the email to your agent, a different script on the same name shows up. And that script is never as interesting. You know? mm-hmm. And that script is what goes out to the marketplace. People mm-hmm. would be shocked. 
if they understood the movie that plays in other people's heads mm-hmm. when they read their scripts. That, the, the two people that actually threatened to commit suicide, one of them is actually a working writer, and she said that was the moment I finally understood what it meant to be a professional writer. It was to learn the tools so that other people could experience the movie exactly the way that I do. Mm-hmm. And I think too that's where some of the more cra- the craft issues do come in. When we talk about you know how to express yourself in a great line of scene direction, for example, it's not just being pretty. It's it's conveying something that translates to everyone, so that your intention is being met. Everybody sees it the way that you see it. I think to me that's where that's where the craft comes in. You know, it's not showing off. It's just expressing your intention, and that way everybody's seeing that movie. Hopefully. We'll Hopefully, see. although but it's I, one of the right, things. Sure. But I think that, um, you know, first of all, the reality is most readers, and I was a studio reader, most readers don't actually read a lot of description. They just read down the middle of the page and read a lot of dialogue. And I think that it's the conflict that really gets people, and having understanding how to do effective context and escalations and organic escalations and really understanding cohesion and applying that to the conflict at the micro and macro level, that's where people are going to really experience the movie. Mm-hmm. Got it. I think I got it because you're kind of smart. And I, oh, you know, I wouldn't I'm, go I'm, that. Like, I wouldn't say I'm, that. I'm, All I know is one character wants something and another character wants something is getting in, and they're getting each other's way. This <laughs> is what I do. It's like as long as I get a little bit of that into the scene, I'm like, at least the scene doesn't suck completely. That makes you know? sense. But I, that's where I start. And what you just described is life as well. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <exactly. laughs> Corey, I want to thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks, Corey. Uh, 